This morning we're in uh, 2 Peter, as we have been for the last few weeks, and I hope that uh, the sermon series has been a wonderful blessing to you. If you've missed any of the sermons so far, I really want to encourage you online. They are there permanently. Um, God has been speaking to us through uh, 2 Peter, and we're preaching expository style. That means we preach the text as it is there, and the previous text always feeds into the next one. So if you come in kind of missing a few, you really miss out. And today, it's a very important uh, verse in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. I'm going to do my best to preach it clearly. Um, and hopefully, with the help of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a massive benefit to your Christian walk. Peter shares some powerful truths in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. But what happens before helps us understand what he's saying in this verse. So we're going to read it from the beginning, as we have been over the last few weeks. We're going to read from verse 1 up to verse 11, and then I'm going to kick things off from there. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, they will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning. We submit ourselves to your word. Lord, we are nothing without you. We need your help to understand what your word is saying to us. We need the help of your spirit here this morning. And I pray that as I preach, that the Holy Spirit would just move in a powerful way in people's hearts and that your truths would come across clearly this morning. We're praying, Lord, that there would be a response to your word this morning that would honor you and bring much fruit in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I'm going to do a little bit of a recap. Um, I'm not going to spend as long on recap as Joey did last week, but it is important to remember the reason why Peter is writing this letter. It's his second letter, it's his final letter, and he knows that he is about to go to heaven to be with Jesus. Before Jesus went up into the sky, when they were walking on the beach, Jesus predicted that Peter would die um, for his faith. And Peter knows that that time is coming. And we all know how the story ends, or I'm sure you've heard it in the past, but Peter eventually is crucified, just like Jesus, but he doesn't want to be crucified in the same way, so he asks if he can be crucified upside down. And Peter is crucified upside down not long after this letter was written, and he knew the end was coming. If you've ever been with someone in their last days, you will know, and they're able to communicate, you will know that this is the important time to share the things that matter the most. This is where you communicate what you need to communicate because you know you're not going to have another opportunity. And Peter's letter in 2 Peter is written to the disciples that he has been living with for decades and discipling, and he loves them. And what he says is so important because he knows it is the last thing that he's going to say to them. And what does he do in verses 1 to 4? He reminds them that their faith is the most precious thing that they have. If you're a believer in the room this morning, your most precious possession is not your car, it's not your house, it's not your investments, it is your faith. The most precious thing a believer can have is their faith. And it's a complete gift of God. In verse one to four, Peter spends no time on what you need to do to get that. He says that they have received a faith of equal standing to the other apostles. He spends four verses speaking about what God has done, God's precious promises to the believers. We have to start with what God has done for us before we move on to what we're gonna do for God. If we get that the other way around, things go pear-shaped. If you think you need to do stuff first to earn God's favor and blessing and then he's gonna do stuff for you, that's a, a false gospel. What we believe and what Peter wants to get clear is that God has done amazing things for you and he's given you a faith that is of equal standing with himself and the other apostles. After that, he reminds them that in light of what God has done for them, now they must do something for God. We don't sit passively just saying thank you, give me, give me, give me, and I'll get heaven too. And some of you are smiling and shaking your heads because I think we've all thought like that at some point because we are pretty self-centered. So I know that's why I gave my life to Christ. I didn't give my life to Christ so that I could serve God for the rest of my days. I gave my life to Christ because I wanted heaven. I wanted to make sure I was gonna be okay. And the problem is some people continue to live their faith out that way. As long as I'm okay, as long as I'm gonna get, and as long as this is about me. But Peter says, no, in light of what God has done for you, you must now do something for God. And he tells them to add to their faith determination, self-control. I'm gonna stick to my notes here because I'm gonna forget the five. Determination self-control, knowledge, 
endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And Christian, it's gonna take you your whole life to get all of those things. I've been a Christian for 25 years. I'm, I know which one the Lord's putting his finger on in my life. I know where I'm at. I know where the work is being done. But I can also look back and go, wow, I can see that that's been put in. He's helped me get that. And Peter says we need to add to our faith in light of what God has done for us. And now we come to the most important verses in verse 10 and 11. There's going to be two rewards that Peter says we will achieve or we will get if we add to our faith and diligently do so. So let's read it in verse 10. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. That's the first um, reward. I'm gonna explain it in a second if it's confusing. It is at first. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And then the second one's a little bit more clear. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 10, the first benefit to receiving a faith from God and then diligently working on it and adding to it, the first benefit is this. You are gonna get what is called assurance of salvation. The key phrase, and it does trip people up if you take it out of context, is confirm your calling and election. I wanna be clear on what Peter is not saying. Peter is not saying, guys, I'm not sure if you're saved. You need to make sure. You need to confirm, because I don't know. I'm not sure you know, and I don't think I know. It's important to start at the beginning, and even after this verse, Peter gives two examples of why he is sure. He knows that they are genuine believers, and he knows that they are saved. He is sure. The first way that we can see that he is sure, I haven't got it on the screen, so I want you to look at it, is in verse one, he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. They've received it. He's not saying, guys, I'm not sure if you've committed your lives to Christ here. He's saying, I know. I'm writing to believers, people who have obtained. Peter is sure. And in verse 12, just after this one, he says, um, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter's not even speaking to immature believers. He's speaking to mature believers. He knows are saved. But it's not just Peter who is sure that they are saved. God is sure. And the word that is key to help us see that one is this one, election. The doctrine of election is all over the New Testament. This is what it teaches. God chooses us before the foundation of the world. There's a beautiful lyric in a song by Matt Maher. I don't know if any of you are Matt Maher fans, I am. But he's got a song called Run to the Father. And the lyric in the song goes, um, my heart was in your sights long before my first breath. Before 
anything was created, God saw you. And he chose you. He then justifies you by grace, not on anything that you do, through faith. As soon as you have faith that Jesus Christ is God's son and that he died on the cross for you and your sins and you rest on that, you are saved. And the only way you can have that knowledge is by God's help. He reveals it to us. It's like we're wearing a blindfold. You could listen to the gospel a million times. I did many times. And it falls on deaf ears. Suddenly there's a day, and I'm praying that today will be that day for some of you. Suddenly there's a day where God removes the blindfold and you can see. Because he's already done the work and he's revealing himself to you. That's election. And the, and the Bible says that Jesus will not lose anyone that's in his hands. So he chooses you before the foundation of the earth. You are saved completely of what God has done, nothing that you have done by grace through faith. You receive it as a gift. It's not at all dependent on what you do. You cannot mess it up. You cannot lose it. You can't lose something you didn't work to get. If you worked to get it, then yes, there can be a lot of fear over losing it. We are like that with our money. We work hard. There's a lot of fear over hacking into and cards and this, and the moment we lose our wallets, we you know, cancel everything. When we work hard for something, there can be a lot of fear around it. When something is uh, given to you that is not dependent on you at all, then you cannot do anything to lose it either. We are eternally secure in his hands. Jesus paid it all on the cross and the work is finished. The last thing he said before he died was, it is finished. It's done. You don't have to do anything to add to it. He's done it all. And those who are trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross are saved. Finished. So Peter is not unsure. God is not unsure. God is sure of who are his and who he's gonna keep them until the very end. So then why, the question should be coming up in your mind, why does Peter write, confirm your calling and election? And the reason is that even though God is sure, even though Peter is sure, some of the church that he's writing to aren't sure. They are lacking assurance. And I wanna be sensitive to you this morning, church. There are gonna be people in this room that are feeling like that. You have a lack of assurance. And if you're not feeling like that today, you've probably felt like that in the past. I felt like that for a long time. And this is why Peter is writing to them. Martin Lloyd-Jones gives a wonderful backdrop to what's happening in 2 Peter, and I'm gonna read it to you. They were facing massive persecution from the outside and from the inside. So in, uh, we're gonna get there next year, but in the second chapter of 2 Peter, Peter spends a lot of time on false teachers, 
false teachers were infiltrating the church at regular intervals, and what was the main thing they were trying to teach that was false? You needed to work for your salvation. Yes, you trusted in Jesus, but you also did this and this and this and this, and then you were saved. And because there were people teaching the incorrect gospel, some of the church were starting to waver. They were starting to get confused. They were starting to struggle because as soon as you start to believe, I need to do something to uh, make sure, you're always gonna wonder, have I done enough? And Peter knows, just like I know, that some of you this morning are struggling with, am I really saved? That's why he writes to them and he says to them, confirm your calling and election. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, he says, these troubles from the outside are tending to make you feel uncertain. These heresies from within and the teaching of false teachers are having the same effect on you. They are shaking your faith and you are becoming uncertain. I exhort you, says the apostle, to furnish out your faith in order that you may make your calling and election sure. It is true that this 10th verse is really the key verse of the whole epistle, that the object of the entire letter is to enable us to make our calling and election sure. Peter is saying, you can, Christian, become sure of your salvation. You might not be today. You might be struggling because of external pressures, but it is possible to make your uh, calling and election sure for yourself, not for God, you will be saved. I hope you are asking this question, I'm gonna answer it even if you aren't. Is it possible for someone who lacks assurance to be saved? Let me be clear this morning, lacking assurance does not mean lacking salvation. There are gonna be Christians who live their whole lives with a lack of assurance, that means they constantly doubt and wonder, am I really saved? and they're gonna get to heaven because they trust in Jesus for their salvation. Assurance is subjective. Assurance is, um, God's eternal security is objective, it's a fact, it's done. But my surety over it is subjective. And because it's subjective, I'm gonna change how I feel about that. And so someone who is unsure can be saved for um, you don't need to worry this morning that I'm saying to you, you are not a Christian. You are a Christian as long as you are trusting Jesus for your salvation. Doubts can fill your mind. You are saved. I'll give an example from my own life. When I first gave my life to Christ, I was 14 years old. Uh, happened at Selborne College. Happened in a very weird way. They locked us up in a room um, and preached to us and we couldn't get out and uh, I gave my life to Christ. Now you might hear that story and go, how the heck did that happen? I also sometimes wonder. But that's exactly what happened. I'd heard the gospel many times. I'd never committed my life to Christ. I didn't do it because of any external persuasion. It wasn't because they'd locked the door. I didn't really care about that. Something happened in the room that day where I understood for the first time how much God loved me and what he had done for me, and my heart responded and said, yes, I'm gonna give my life to you. And I joined this church and um, I eventually joined the youth group. And the way we used to young, uh, we're young, the way we used to run youth ministry was to make sure the youth came, we used to drop them off at home. 
So youth ended at 11, and we had a, a bus, and we used to drive to all parts of the city dropping young people off, because my parents would never have let me come to youth. They were atheists. And to come and pick me up here at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday was not going to happen. But because this church was investing in youth back then, we had a bus, and these wonderful young men were willing to drive until midnight and beyond every Friday just so that Mark would come to youth ministry. One of their names, if you've been around as long as me, I'm talking mid-90s here, give my age away. Um, one of their names, it was a guy called Nick Erkey. He wasn't in the church for long. He was here for about three or four years. But if you've met Nick Erkey, you'll know it. He was a firecracker for God. And I often looked at him and marveled and wondered. I thought, man, will I ever be as certain as he is? It was just clear. It was clear in the way he lived his life. It was clear in the way he worshiped. God was first for him. And every Friday night, Nick Erkey dropped me off at home, and I was always the last one. And he waited for that, because when we were on our own, every Friday night, Nick Erkey would say to me, Mark, do you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And I lied. Every Friday night, I lied to Nick Erkey's face. And I said, yes, I know. And then I would lie on my bed all night, going, why am I so unsure? I remember those years, and I know that I had no conviction in my answer. When I tried to fool Nick Erke, I was trying to make him stop asking, but he was never convinced, because guess what happened the next Friday night? Mark, do you know that you're gonna go to heaven? Church, it took me a few years, but I one day realized I don't lie in my bed anymore and wonder what's gonna happen to me. I know. And I keep waiting for Nick Erke to walk back into this building because <laughs> I can't wait to go up to him and say, brother, I know that I'm gonna go to heaven. And I know he's gonna believe me because there's, there's no more lying in, in that statement. It's a conviction that God's given me. But the little secret I wanna give you is, even if little Mark would died, for all those years where I was unsure, I know I was gonna to go to heaven. Why? Because it's not based on my assurance, it's based on what Jesus has done for me. And I'm trusting in it. I'm resting on that. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're resting on what Christ has done for you, then you're saved. How much you're sure of that is not so important to that fact. It is important to the way you're gonna live your life though. And that's why Peter's dealing with it. He's saying, guys that are unsure, confirm it, get sure. Because if you can get sure of this, if you can settle the most important matter in this world, which is your eternity with Christ, if that gets settled in your heart, you can run um, without distraction. J.C. Ryle speaks about two men who uh, moved to New Zealand. We'll relate to the story. You probably know a lot of people moving to New Zealand. And both men get given the exact same uh, farm. Different farms, but you know what I mean. And so they're foreigners, they get given this farm, everything, it's yours, and they get told, work on it. One of them believes it wholeheartedly. 
even though he's a foreigner, he believes that the state has somehow blessed him and given him this farm, and so he works diligently at this farm day in, day out. The other one is not sure whether this is actually his farm. It's too crazy. So he continuously heads to the title deeds office, and keeps checking on the permissions. Every day, he's going between his farm and all these other places just to make sure that it's his. And J.C. Rao asks, who's gonna get more done? Obviously, it's the one who is already sure that it belongs to him and works at it diligently. And even though you're gonna be saved this morning, even if you have a lack of assurance, I wanna say to you, Peter wants you to be sure God's already sure, and you can have assurance this morning. When you have an assurance of salvation, you're gonna be more effective and more fruitful. I wanna move on to the next point. If you have a lack of assurance, there are reasons. I'm only gonna give two, there's probably more, but these are the two main ones. And I didn't realize it was gonna be so small, so I hope you can read that. The first reason why some people lack assurance, even though they are genuinely saved, is because they have a misunderstanding of the doctrine of justification. So the doctrine of justification teaches, I'm gonna try and keep this simple. It teaches that you are made right before God because of what Jesus has done. You are justified, that means he sees you as perfect, no more issues, everything's been dealt with, you can come in, it is done. You do nothing to get justification. Justification is all of God. The moment you start to, and this is where the misunderstanding comes in, the moment you start to add you into justification as in, I'm sure, I can accept Jesus, but I still need to make sure I'm coming to church a lot, and I still need to make sure I'm doing this, and I I know I've gotta stop that, and I've gotta, the more you make justification about what you do, the the more you don't have it at all. And the the more you're gonna struggle with assurance, because you're always gonna wonder, have I I done it, if this is based on me in any way, have I done enough? Muslims struggle with this. I mean, obviously, because we're saved through Jesus Christ and they don't believe in him or they don't believe he is who he says he is. But every Muslim I ever spoke to, they are so committed. They pray more than I pray. They do more than I do. They pray five times a day. They are relentless. And I would say to them, do you know that you're gonna go to heaven? Because I'm trying to get to Jesus. And they never know. Of course, they cannot know. Because the answer is always, I'm not sure if I've done enough. I need to build up my credit. I need to do this and this and this, but I'm also doing this and this and this wrong. So things keep canceling each other out and I can't keep track. Muslims have no assurance. Roman Catholics have no assurance. One of the reasons why we're struggling with assurance a little bit in the Protestant church is because of the history of the church. So the moment God reveals how he's gonna save us through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, Satan comes in to sow lies. And all of Satan's lies are based around, that's fine, but just add this, which is why Peter's struggling with false teachers in his church. 
which is why the Roman Catholic Church, which was the only version of church for a long time, it became action-based. And they don't believe in assurance of salvation. They believe in purgatory. And it gets decided. And I've been to a Roman Catholic funeral where even at the funeral, they say, pray for the person that they're going to go into heaven. They're already dead. Now we've got to pray that somehow it's undecided. They're never sure. And a Roman Catholic person will say to me, Mark, you're um, presumptuous, prideful. How can you stand there in front of that church and tell them you have assurance, you know that you're going to be saved? And they've missed the boat. I'm not prideful. If it was based on me and what I've done, yes, then there's pride. But it's based on God. And it's based on what He's done. And He's infallible. He can't get it wrong. I'm proud of Him and what He's done. And I'm sure because He's helped me see the truth. And some of you this morning have gained an assurance of salvation and you know how freeing it is. And not free to live licentiously and do a whole bunch of things wrong, but freeing to live your life out and work in that farm that's been given to you. God's given you a vineyard to work in until you get to heaven. And you can work in it without distraction, without worry, because you know the most important thing in this life has been settled. Assurance can only come from something certain and infallible. When you realize that God is the only one who can save you and you legitimately trust in his finished work of salvation, then assurance is possible because the foundation is God. When you think, I've got to do things to make sure, then you'll never have assurance because you'll never know whether you've done enough. You'll know your weaknesses and your fallibility. The second reason, so once we get justification right, we still sometimes struggle with assurance because of part two. Some of us are, know that we are justified, so we accept that, we receive that. I'm right before God. But now, this is where Peter's trying to say, you've got verse one to four going well, you need to get verse five to eight going well in your life. You need to get diligence in working on your sanctification. Sanctification includes you. It's not just God. It's God and you working together to bear fruit out of this thing that's happened in your life. And some Christians, sadly, because they go, I know that I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm gonna go to heaven, they stop. They go, then it's settled, then I'm done. And they live passively. And they are, that's a, a, a bigger word, slothful is slow. They are deliberately slow in their sanctification because they are adding nothing to their faith. And someone who lives their Christian life out like that will also struggle with assurance. This is why Peter is unpacking this whole chapter this way. I hope you're seeing that this sermon's actually this whole chapter coming at you. Verse one to four is getting a good handle on justification in your life. Verse five to eight is getting serious about living your life for Christ and pursuing Him. And it doesn't just come naturally. Many Christians passively live their lives out. Matt said, the word is may become partakers in the divine nature. You're saved, but there's still something that is left to be done and it doesn't always get done. 
And when we get to the second benefit, which is a bit later, I'm going to move. How do we grow in assurance? Michael Eaton was brilliant for me in my preparation. Those of you that love uh, theology and you've got access to stuff, I really want to encourage you to read Michael Eaton's uh, section on assurance of salvation. He says that there are three ways that we grow in our assurance. You might be sitting there going, okay, Mark, I got it. Uh, I've got justification. I am resting on what Christ has done for me. Mark, maybe I've been a bit slow so far in my life, but there is something stirring in my heart, and I want to give myself diligently to the most important thing, which is my faith. Not diligently to my retirement, although it's good to look after that, but not at the expense of the most important thing, which is your faith. And you start going, yes, okay, I'm going to do that, but how, I, don't, I don't currently have this assurance. How do, how do you get it? Michael Eaton says, the first thing that happens, and it, the order's important. Now notice, Peter, you might be going, but Mark, some of this confirm, I'm still not understanding it. It sounds like I've got to work. It's the third part, not the first part. It's the third most important part, and I'm going to start with the first most important part. If you want an assurance of salvation here this morning, you need to stand on God's promises. I met someone this week in church who's struggling a little bit, and the main thing in my counseling, and it will always be the main thing in my counseling, is go back to God's word. There's 8,000 promises in there rounded up. I'm never going to remember the seven. Blah, blah, blah. So rounded up, 8,000 verses on God's promises. You can't stand on promises you don't know about. So the first thing you've got to do is go, right, this word is here to help me live this life. And I'm struggling a little bit right now, so I'm going to dedicate myself to studying this and believing it. Standing on God's promise is believing it. You exercise faith. When God says that, that's for me, I believe that, now I'm exercising faith. You want to grow in assurance, you start to stand on God's promises. You need to learn about them, and when you read them, believe. It's for you. Your assurance starts to grow. The second thing that happens is there's the Holy Spirit comes, and He witnesses within you that you are a child of God. The Bible says, by Him we cry out, Abba, Father. So before, I used to think of God as this mean ogre up in the sky, or however I thought of Him. But now, I genuinely know that I'm a son of God. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit inside of me tells me that. He witnesses to me, says, Mark, because you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation and nothing else, because you are resting on that and all of God's promises, I witness with you, you are a son of God. My assurance gets intensified because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And then the last one, and this is the one Peter's dealing with, but we've got to be so careful because Satan's going to twist it and turn it into the thing that's going to make you not grow. But the third one is called subsidiary assurance. And subsidiary means not primary, so secondary. Don't make it first. And this is where Eaton was so helpful for me. He says, I want to read it so that I don't uh, get it wrong. Subsidiary assurance, this is the last way. And the way Peter is speaking of in our base text today. It is not the primary way. Don't make it primary. This is the evidence of God's grace at work in your life. The evidence. 
the adding of the qualities that Peter is speaking of. The practicing of qualities that will confirm your calling and election. It's not the most important, but it plays a part. I start to see evidence in my life. And that evidence, that's what Peter's saying, you'll start to see the evidence in your life. That's going to confirm that you are saved. Don't make it first, though, because if you make it first, what are you doing? I'm basing my salvation on my works. Then you're falling off big time. It happens so easily. No, it comes last. The last thing that happens after standing on God's promises and the witnessing of the Holy Spirit in your life, the last thing that happens is there starts to show evidence in your life that you are saved. And that's what Peter is speaking of. Add these qualities to your life and guess what's gonna happen? It's gonna confirm. It's not that you don't have it, you do have it, but you're gonna know you have it. And when you know you have it, it's gonna set you free to run this race hard and well for Christ. This is what Eaton says exactly regarding subsidiary assurance. There is a confirmation of your salvation. You are not resting on it, not justifying yourself by works, but there is a confirmation of your salvation. You bring it in at the end to confirm and prove that you truly are a child of God. Guys, there's evidence in my life that point to this, but I don't rest on it. I rest on Jesus and what he's done for me. Ah, but I can look at my life and the subsidiary assurance is there. God is at work. And it's gonna happen for you too if you diligently pursue your faith. Doesn't happen for everyone, which is why some people lack assurance most of their lives. But for many, you start to see the evidence on top of knowing all of God's promises and trusting in them, on top of the Holy Spirit witnessing to you. Those two are far more important than the evidence. Far more important, but the evidence is there. That's what Peter is saying, and Peter wants them to be sure. If you're lacking assurance this morning, you're just like many of people in his church, who, by the way, he said, have obtained a faith of equal standing, so they were not behind in faith, are established in the truth. Lacking assurance doesn't mean you're some backwards uh, wannabe. It's something we deal with. Ah, but we don't have to deal with it our whole lives. The second benefit this morning, and I love this, in verse 11, can you move on to it, they did. It's a triumphant entry. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that if you pursue Virtue in your life, you'll not only enjoy assurance here, but you'll enjoy reward in the life to come. That's the second benefit. I get an assurance of salvation, but I'm also running towards something magnificent. Listen to this. This was such an important sentence for me. At the moment of salvation, the fact of our entrance into the eternal kingdom is settled. I'll say that again. At the moment of your salvation, for me it was age 14, the fact of my entrance that I will be there in heaven was settled. Ah, but the manner, the way that I enter was not settled. If we think everyone enters into the kingdom of heaven in the same way, Peter is not speaking about that here. 
It's very interesting. He seems to be intimating that there are various degrees of glory and honor upon our entry into heaven. This is why anyone who says to me, all I care about is getting to heaven, and then they live their life their own way, they've missed it. You think we all come in the same way. We don't. You might go, but all I care about is getting there at the end. And I'll grant you, if you get into heaven, it's a million times better than going in the other direction, and I will rejoice with you, but not everyone hears as they run through the entrance gates, well done, you've run well, good and faithful servant, great is your reward. Not everyone gets that. You might think, oh, I'm gonna get that as long as I trust in Jesus. No, some people are gonna be saved as through fire. Some of us are gonna think COVID's still happening because the angels are gonna have to wear masks because the smoke's still pouring off us as they beat the fire off us. And you're gonna get a well done, but it's more the, the steak variety. Well done. That's one way of doing it. But I'm saved, yes. But you're gonna realize at that point, man, I, was, I could have run this completely differently. You can have a triumphant entry into heaven. And how do you do that? You add to your faith. If all you've got is your faith and you live your whole life with just that, I just believe I'm gonna be saved, you do nothing else for God, you will be saved, no doubt, because salvation is by faith through grace. You will be saved. But the manner of your entry, ah, that we are still working towards, guys. I hope that inspires you. It inspires me. I'm gonna close with a story. I love stories to close with, so this hopefully will inspire you. Many years ago, I ran the surfers. No training. My wife had been training for about a year. She challenged me. I did the typical prideful guy thing. I was like, I don't need to train. I'm fit. Um, so I think I ran twice before, just to be honest. I think I ran 5Ks twice before in preparation for this 20K run. It did not go well. But I finished. And in my mind, I imagined applause. I imagined the crowd cheering. But what I got was frowns and bewilderment. Because I finished at the exact same time, I kid you not, as a guy with one leg. He ran over rocks with one leg. And I finished at the same time and I just remember seeing the crowd and they were just stunned. They were like, can you be this slow? Like, okay, well done, you made it to the end, but geez. And some of us are running our Christian walk just like that. You're so focused on, as long as I get to the end, I don't care how slow or how broken, however it looks and you're gonna fall over the line at the end to a lot of bewilderment. Ah, oh, but there's gonna be some of us who train, who put effort in, who diligently pursue Christ in our lifetime, and what happens as you run your race is you just get stronger. You see those guys, they get stronger at the finish. Man, and it's a picture of an Olympian running in to glory at the end, and God, when God gives you a reward, don't think that just because everyone else still made it to heaven that the reward is somehow insignificant. That reward is going to blow our minds. 
We are not going to just receive it and say thank you. We are going to go, wow, I don't deserve this. I can't believe this. And it's going to be his goodness to lavish it out upon us. You guys know, those of you who are grandparents, you love, even though you've got no money, you love Christmas time. You will mortgage yourself. And my mom does that. She's got no money. Ah, but she comes out with the greatest gifts at Christmas time for her grandkids. Because all she wants to see is that joy on their faces. God is preparing something for us, and we are not going to receive it and go, hmm. We are going to be amazed. So this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. How are you going to respond to this sermon? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just pray and think about what God has been saying to you. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions just to help you think. And I'm really trusting, I know this, the Holy Spirit's in this room, guys, and He's speaking to you. Where is your level of assurance at right now? Perhaps you have no assurance because you have not yet placed your trust in Jesus for your salvation. If you're going to heaven, is dependent on your being a good person or your church attendance or your Bible reading, my friend, you will have no assurance. How can you ever know if you've been good enough or if you've done enough? Ah, but the wonderful news this morning is that we can move our trust from the shaky foundation of our behavior and our goodness and place it on the finished work of Christ on the cross. He alone can save you. If you have never put your trust in Jesus and made the decision to follow him, follow him, not meander your own way. Make him Lord of your life, the king. I will do what you say, Lord. If you've never done that, I wanna give you a moment to consider doing that today. No one can see your heart and no one can see whether you're actually doing it except God. But I want to tell you, the moment you in your heart decide to place your trust in Jesus and what he's done for you, you are saved. It can happen right now. Perhaps you have no assurance because somewhere you've gotten confused over your justification. You've not accepted that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for you. And somehow you've started to trust in your own works. Will you believe today that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for you to go to heaven? And that you are justified by faith in Christ, not by works. Are you resting on your works or on Jesus' work this morning? Perhaps you have no assurance because you are slow in your sanctification. Instead of diligently adding to your faith, by working out your salvation, you've become passive 
and meandering your way through life on earth, just hoping to arrive at your eternal destination and be satisfied with it? Will you choose today to pursue your relationship with Christ? Run hard, run well, finish your race triumphantly. And perhaps this morning you do have assurance. May it motivate you to press on towards the goal so abundantly while on earth and you will reap abundantly in heaven. May every believer here today enjoy these wonderful benefits of a maturing faith, an assurance of salvation, and a triumphant entry into heaven.
the throne of glory nothing in my hands I bring but the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious King and I will give to you
So we do not lose heart for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
Lord, as we give ourselves to you this morning, we come again, Lord. We do this over and over and over. We come again this morning. We consider all that you've done. We consider all that we are in Christ. Thank you for this incredible, wonderful assurance of cry this morning, Lord, as we come to you. Is, oh, Lord, won't you use us for your glory? Oh, Lord, won't you just come, oh God, and by your Holy Spirit, the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit, breathe new life again. Come again and again, Lord, and we cry out to you because you are our only hope. And we love you, Lord. We want to please you. We want to live a life that is pleasing to you. We want to see your kingdom extended and glorified and bring glory to you. We want to see your kingdom go forth. Those that we rub shoulders with, that they would see Jesus in us. Those that we rub shoulders with, Lord, we would be quick to bring the good news. Jesus saves. We give ourselves to you this morning. As we sing these wonderful words, I encourage you this morning just to come to him again. As I'm doing myself, just come to him again this morning. Say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Won't you have your way in me? Won't you have your way, Lord, in my day, my every day? Oh, that you would be pleased, Lord, that you would be blessed, that you would have great pleasure. Let's pray this morning as we sing these songs. Let's pray from our hearts. The Lord will respond to a heart full of faith heart that is committed to him. The Lord will respond. That's how he works. We come and we say, yes, Lord. And we do it many times. We come and say, yes, again, Lord, we come and say, yes to you, Lord. Let's do that this morning. Just the road that led to suffering. Nothing was fair to prove your love for me. The mystery of your final breath became eternity. And what we had lost forever.
thank you for your word. Thank you for this time where we could just come and commit ourselves to you again. We thank you for the this gospel, this good news, this truth that we are secure in you. pray for much fruit. We pray for much fruit in our lives. Oh, that your name would be exalted. Lord, that we would not just sing it, but that we would live it for your name's sake. Thank you for each other this morning. We thank you for the encouragement of just being together as believers. Pray for those who perhaps don't know you this morning. Pray, Lord, that you would secure them in the faith. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, to bring glory to your name. For those who would like to just uh, dwell a little bit longer in the Lord's presence, dwell upon what he said to you, let's do that. To those who uh, want to go out and go and live for him, we release you this morning the Lord's blessing. Praise God.